Welcome to season six of One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents and therapists. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm Anna. I'm a mom, a therapist, a group practice owner, a parent coach, and an author. And I'm her daughter and a kick-ass high school student. Each week, we'll discuss a different topic that is relevant to your family and your life as a parent. And we'll also interview some amazing guest experts. Our goal is to provide an interesting and informational resource for busy parents. We're also offering the perspective of a teen. So tune in every Wednesday. Crushed it. Hello, welcome back to One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Dr. Terry Egan, and unfortunately, Anna Banana is not with us today because she's at her new job. And I've been waiting for her to come on and tell us about it, but we just have to wait longer. So luckily, I have a fantastic guest expert with me today, and she's someone that you're familiar with. She was on the podcast back in September, and then she was on the podcast again in January. So she is my coworker, Lacey Wallace. She is a licensed clinical mental health counselor associate and a national board certified counselor. She has worked as an elementary school counselor and a middle school counseling department chair before becoming the school counseling specialist for Anne Arundel Public Schools. She's now part of the Egan Counseling and Consulting Therapist Team located here in Charlotte, North Carolina. She's an experienced counselor who works with children, teens, young adults, parents, and she focuses on things like family transitions, worry and anxiety, questions of self-worth executive functioning and academic challenges, and difficulty regulating emotions. So she uses a lot of creative strategies, which is excellent role modeling for me because she comes from, she's so recently from that school environment. And as we all know, educators, they've always got something up their sleeve. So she she really focuses on family involvement as key to progress when working with children. And she really focuses on the strengths within each client so that they can develop strategies that align with their strengths and still meet their individual counseling goals. So she's here today specifically to talk about grounding strategies. So thanks, Lacey, for being here again. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> well, I want you to tell our audience how things have been going for you because, you know, you you moved from Maryland. You got here, you hit the ground running, like started work on your first day after unpacking your moving truck. And it's been kind of nonstop. So tell us your highs and lows. Yeah, thanks for asking. It's it's definitely been a lot of highs, very few lows. I will say that Charlotte's been a, a breath of fresh air in terms of the city itself, but really the community of therapists and just how welcoming people are and the networking opportunities and, and just the ability to really, I think, establish myself and, and feel like a, a welcome part of the community has been a really great experience for going into full-time private practice and, and just working at Egan Counseling. I, I think we've been able to grow a lot already, and it's been really exciting just to see the number of families that are able to be helped because of our growing practice. And, and so Charlotte has been a wonderful transition for me. I'm really excited I made the move. 
not only to the city, but also to full-time private practice and the ability to really help families at a, at a greater depth after being in the school system for so long was is kind of exactly what I was hoping for. And, and the ability to do that has been really rewarding, hopefully for the families I'm working with, but selfishly also for myself in a lot of ways. And so very busy already, lots of clients, lots of families and, and I can't say I'm full yet. I don't think we're ever really full because of how we support people in, in kind of a brief solution-focused way, but my calendar is quite full. It's been wonderful. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that the we're never fully full dynamic because there's always families who are making progress and are going from maybe meeting with us weekly to bi-monthly to down to monthly. And so, you know, most of the time it's kind of just worst case scenarios. You wait a week or two and then you're going to be able to get a spot. And, you know, we pride ourselves on working with like the best fit clients. And then if they're not, if there's some expertise that they need that we don't provide, you know, we get them in front of the right people. So it keeps the flow going really nicely. We have a lot of nice variety of, of families to work with. And of course, we're still loving our office space. It's beautiful. <laughs> Tara, Tara doesn't tell you guys, but she's also an interior designer. You just don't even oh, know it. Secretly. Yes. My husband loves when people call me that because he's like, oh no, what room is she going to want to redo in our house next? <laughs> <laughs> we just got all new floors. So we have to, we have to pause for a little yeah. bit on any other home projects, but yeah. Yeah. So, well, we are happy to have you. Your clients do love you. That is very true. And um, we got a great team going and we're adding people too. We're adding some, I think right now the plan is to add two more people before summer to kind of help us continue to support families and, and do it at a pace that makes sense. So yay for us. So exciting. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about grounding strategies today because it's you and I both use this with, I would say most clients where, you know, with the clients that we work with who are struggling with anxiety or they struggle with emotional regulation. These are really strategies that can be implemented anywhere. They can be facilitated by a parent or a loved one or a teacher. And so I just wanted to dedicate a podcast episode just to these, because I don't think they're strategies that people really understand what they are and how to use them. So let's just get started. What are grounding strategies? Yeah. Great question. It's funny when I introduce it to clients, sometimes they'll be like, oh, I get it. It's like your feet. You're on the ground again. You're not up in the air and all anxious. So I try to describe grounding techniques as a way to bring us back to the here and now. A lot of anxiety and overwhelm or panic really happens because we're focused on previous events. So our thoughts are, are looking back towards the past. Like I should have done something. I could have done something else. Why didn't I do that? Or our anxiety is created because we're thinking about future possibilities. I always tell kids like the what ifs are a real big clue that we're starting to feel anxious, right? So what if this happens? There are potential possibilities of scary things happening. And, and so that can be really overwhelming for our brains and our bodies. And we won't go into the whole stress response today, but Harvard Publishing has a great article for families if they want to look up that stress response and what it does to the brain. But we know what it does to the body after it sends signals that we are panicked or overwhelmed or, or potentially in danger. 
And so even though, you know, a test might not really seem like danger if we really break it down or for those of us who don't have anxiety, but for a kid who's really stressed about the outcome of that test, it can be extremely anxiety provoking. And so while we're having that panic, that overwhelm, that overstimulation, sometimes our bodies and brains, we lose touch of the present moment. And so grounding techniques really bring us back to the here and now. A lot of them focus on our senses because our senses are in a current setting. Our senses aren't, you know, we're not smelling things that are happening later today and and we can't touch things that happened yesterday, but we can sit in our chair and touch and feel things and, and use our senses to ground us in the very present moment. I love that idea of staying present because that is very difficult for those of us who struggle with anxiety. And it's it interferes with like joy. It's like a thief of joy when you're in a space where you're thinking about, oh my goodness, what happens if I don't pass this test or I don't get into college or I don't, you know, please my coach, for example, at practice or and and it just turns into something that that is so distracting. Mm-hmm. And to what end, you know, to what end is is worrying about, I mean, sure, you can say, oh, I've got a math test and I'm going to review my my notes and I'm going to do those practice problems and, you know, be in a problem solving space. But a lot of times with worries, we're not. We're laying in bed or we're, you know, sitting on the school bus on the drive home. There's nothing we can be doing in that moment. We're just mm-hmm. kind of torturing ourselves sometimes. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because anxiety can be motivating, right? We say that there is a there is a healthy level of anxiety we all experience, right? Anxiety is what gets us to work on time each day. Anxiety is what gets us to work so we have money to live each day as adults, right? And and it helps kids to study or practice. And so it can be motivating, but when it becomes that debilitating anxiety where we can't move forward, that's that's where we need to try to use strategies to help move ourselves from that space. All right. Well, how, like when you talk to kids, you talk to clients and you start to introduce the idea of grounding strategies, what types of things do you say? Well, how do you prompt them to know when this is going to be a useful thing to do? Yeah, it's a, it's a whole process typically. So it depends on the presenting, I'll call them symptoms or the presenting experiences for the clients. I have some kids who go into panic very quickly as soon as they hear or before they walk into a specific class, they're panicking before they get in there. And so sometimes I introduce it during a first session. If I know that it's a kid who's really panicking and really struggling to just have their daily functioning uninterrupted, then I'll introduce it right away. And I talk to them about how, you know, their experiences, we try to use real life examples for them instead of me using examples from my experience. And that's what makes it really meaningful for them. So I remember one of my clients having a real struggle walking into class. If she thought she was going to be two minutes late, all the kids would stare at her and she was so overwhelmed. And so we would walk through, you know, right before you walk in that class, feeling the sensations in your body. So increasing self-awareness happens first, right? So making sure that we recognize how anxiety feels in our bodies. Is it our tense shoulders? Are we clenching our fists? Is our, our stomachs getting butterflies? What do those sensations feel like for us? And then we, as we become self-aware and recognize those symptoms or sensations, then we start to use a grounding technique. And like you mentioned in my introduction, I really try to go based on the client's strengths and their interests. So I have some athletes and, and when I talk to some of my kids who play baseball or football and they're really worried about performing kind of performance anxiety, then we talk about, hey, before, you know, when you're on double deck, before you get up to bat, you know, see if you can look at the alphabet and name a baseball player for each letter of the alphabet. 
in your head. So you're focused on that in the here and now, as opposed to what's going to happen when you're at bat or what happened the last time you were at bat when you might've struck out or feeling the bat in your hands. What does it feel like? Is it hard? Is it warm? Is it cold? And really walking through what that looks like. So could happen in the first session based on, you know, the number, or I should say the amount of overwhelm. Other times for kids, I'll take it much slower and we'll go through scaling. So scaling small triggers or small stressors through really large stressors and then coming up with smaller strategies for some of those smaller stressors and then really those grounding strategies for those stressors that they would rate as like a nine or a 10 on a 10 point scale. So I tell them, you know, it's to bring them back to the here and now. We discuss anxiety really being focused on the past or present. And when I describe that, even young kids, nine-year-olds will look at me and, and think, oh my gosh, like their faces, they're like, it's like an aha moment. Like, yeah, I was always thinking about the past or I am always thinking about the future. And then we just talk about the senses and how we always have them. Some kids I'll talk about using a worry rock where they have it in their hand or in their pocket, right? Or in a coat pocket and they carry it with them and they can just pull it out and use it at any point and really focus on what it feels like and what the surface feels like. Is it coarse or is it smooth? Is it warm? Is it cold? But a lot of times we don't have that rock, right? Or some kids wear a school uniform and can't bring that rock with them to school. And, but you always have your senses. And so we talk about how to use your senses in that way. Another one that's really common, I think a lot of people might know about is the five, four, three, two, one. That's like the five senses. Yeah, that's the most popular. And I will be honest, I feel like sometimes it's hard to remember which senses are along the way until you practice it. Mm -hmm. So there's a modified version, which would be three, three, three. And so I'll five, four, three, two, one, I'll start with. And so we just sit and we try to be comfortable and make sure we feel our feet on the floor and connect to the floor. And then we try to name five things we can see. So a lot of times kids want to fly right through this one or even adults, right? Like I see the chair, I see the ceiling, I see, and I ask them to really slow down and practice it with me when they're calm in session. And so I think name five things you can really see and do it slowly and tell me what you notice about them. So I see the door. Great. What about the door? It has glass. It's surrounded by wood. There is a knob. It's metal. And really slowing down to describe that particular object. Then we go into four things we can feel. And so we really do slow down. And again, just like with the rock and the bat, I ask them to, you know, sometimes kids are holding on to their desk or their, I'm sorry, their arms or their chair. And they're able to say, oh, this is hard. It feels cold. If I squeeze it, it's, it's firm. It doesn't move. And they're able to really describe the different sensations they get when they touch those four things. We go through three things we can hear. And this is where for kids, it sometimes gets more challenging because they really have to focus. And in our office, we have white noise machines and the parking lot outside. And oftentimes they can hear, you know, noises through the wall or things of that nature. But sometimes they struggle to really think of a third noise. And so I'll just ask them, you know, what, is it, what does it feel like to sit there and try to really hear things? So even if they tell you, I can't hear it, I don't hear anything else. Say, what is it, what is it like to sit there and really try to listen and really hone in on what you're hearing? Then we go into two things you can smell. And again, kids will say, I don't, I don't smell anything. Or, you know, sometimes if they have gum or something in their mouth, they could say, oh, I smell the gum or I smell my snack. But then if they can't think of a second thing, then we just focus on what does the air feel like as it moves through your nose, through your nostrils? Do you feel it moving up and down through your nose, into your throat and into your belly? And really talk through what that sensation feels like. And then last one thing you can taste. And my older clients will often say, nothing or metal 
Or again, if they have something in their mouth, they can say what that tastes like. But if they can't name something in particular, just going to feel or ask them what it feels like to just try to taste something. What does their mouth feel like? Is it dry? Is it warm? What does that feel like? And so really just having kids focus on those senses brings them back to the here and now. Well, I know when I do the the part where we talk about what you touch or, you know, and I'll say, well, what you feel as far as you might feel the weight of your jeans on your legs mm-hmm. or how your shoes are tied on your feet or the fact that, the, that your collar is touching your neck or that your hair is brushing against your eyebrows or, or whatever. And so like recognizing the sensation of, of touch versus just like what you're touching with your hands in this exact moment. And mm-hmm. I think that some kids really enjoy the exercise of noticing the no, more nuanced things. And, you know, like when we're listening for the sounds and they'll shift or whatever. And the the puffy jacket that they're wearing makes that like scratchy noise or they'll cross their leg and they'll, their foot will clunk against the coffee table or, or whatever. And, you know, there's times where we might do that exercise in the beginning part of, you know, let's say three sessions in a row just to have them practice it. And each time they can get more in depth with what they're noticing, what they're aware of. And I'm like, this is, do you see how you're getting a greater understanding of the environment you're in, how your body responds to it? And it's obviously the more invested you are in noticing those things, the more you're distracted from negative thoughts or, or, or worrisome thoughts. And so the, the benefit I think of, of an exercise like that is it's, you get to see the benefits so quickly. I mean, there's some strategies we teach kids and until they're in an escalated situation or until they make their way through that incident of being nervous and having to ask for help, you know, we're just practicing and it's like kind of theoretical and abstract, but when we can do the grounding exercises, like they can feel it right there and then. And so it's, it's really powerful, I think. It is. And I think a lot of kids will say things to me like, deep breathing doesn't work. And I always kind of giggle because I know that it does if we continue to practice and really do it in a, in a really helpful way, in a, an effective way. But I think for a lot of kids, it helps to calm your muscles and de-stress your muscles and really help them become less tense. But what it doesn't do is occupy your thoughts, right? If we, we can use grounding when we focus on our breath and we focus on how it feels and what it's like for it to move through our body, but sometimes that's really hard for kids. And so when we can give them almost like tangible things to look at and touch and hear, sometimes that extra almost like use of their brain can be really helpful to distract from those negative thoughts you mentioned. I remember when I was really a kid, I mean, I was probably maybe 10 and I've always struggled a little bit with sleeping. And I remember my dad, who was not a therapist, you know, and he taught me this, you know, laying in bed and like starting with your toes and like just experiencing your toes, like wiggle your toes a little bit. Are your toes, you know, are, are your feet, are you wearing socks? Are you, is your feet bare? Are they rubbing against the smooth sheets? And like, I remember him talking about like the each category of your body and being aware and like letting each muscle group relax. And I mean, I think, and I literally, I'm just remembering this now. And I think back of how, first of all, helpful it was because when he 
talked me through that exercise. I felt so nurtured by him, so supported. You know, I loved having an action step. And when he was telling me about it, I felt like he was treating me like a big girl. Like this is something you can do that it just seemed versus like him comforting me in the like, there's no monsters or just close your eyes. It was something like, I just felt like it just made me feel more in control. And I used that strategy. And then I remember my mom telling me another one of, you know, go through the alphabet and think of either types of food you like or or pretty pretty names, like girls' names. And I'd be like, okay, Annabelle, and then Beverly, and then Caitlin, or, you know, whatever. And I'd go through the alphabet. I've never made it past like maybe H, you know? <laughs> so, but I mean, I think of those strategies that I used as a kid that my parents, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think my parents like read a book on strategies to teach your kid to use before falling asleep, but they're things I've done for a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about mindfulness too. And I think, you know, mindfulness puts us in the here and now, and it's a great practice. And I think of that as more of a proactive strategy where I think of what we're talking about and grounding is like a responsive strategy, like what to do in this exact moment to, to help us feel calm. And it's, it's so true. I think too, what you outlined is that it doesn't have to be somebody with an anxiety disorder or somebody with PTSD or somebody who has flashbacks from a traumatic experience, those are all people who can absolutely benefit from grounding techniques, but everybody can. We've all felt overwhelmed before. Some people get overwhelmed in a really crowded place. I had a friend who didn't have an anxiety disorder, but she could never go to Walmart. She was like, I just can't. It's so overwhelming. And so I always think, you know, if I was her therapist, we'd be talking about what grounding techniques do you use when you get into that situation and how, how do they help? And so I think it's really beneficial for everybody. And so parents who can, you know, try it and model it for their kids and then teach it to their kids and talk about the benefits of it and, I think it's really helpful. Yeah. I think of the the times that we're like waiting in line and you just feel so annoyed and like, I cannot do this for another minute. And mm-hmm. there's no, nothing wrong. It's not like it's, it's just, you know, feeling impatient, feeling understimulated. This is boring. Like, and that, you know, where you can kind of talk yourself through getting out of that space of like frustration, you know, especially you're standing there with your kid and they're being mommy, mommy and all that stuff. But like, man, we got to get through this moment. We don't have a ton of control right now and that we have to stand here. And so what can we do to focus on, you know, managing our body instead of sitting here thinking, I'm so unlucky. This is unbearable. If I have to stand here, look how annoying that woman is. Why is he going so slowly? And we can just get into a space where we get more and more into a tizzy. And Mm -hmm. that's just like a regular life moment. You know, like you said, it's not linked to an anxiety disorder, but just things that are frustrating. Or when we're waiting for, I remember my son, he gave the fifth grade speech like at his graduation for elementary school. So he had written the speech and then was going to read it in this like auditorium. And I just remember like, I can't even, I was just so nervous and I knew he was going to do great, but just like, just like all these people looking at my baby and, you know, he had practiced and stuff. And I remember having to sit there and just be like, my feet are touching the floor, you know, my, my hair touching my neck, like, and just being able to go through. Cause I, then my daughter said something and I wanted to be like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> like I was just so keyed up. And I remember like having to like talk myself into being in a space of like my physical body yes. because I just couldn't sit there and like churn in my head about 
is he okay? Is he nervous? What if he messes up? What if somebody laughs at him? You know, I just, yeah, it's real. I mean, I think too, it's, you know, when we're stuck in traffic, I know some of my clients' kids really don't like being late for school. And so they'll try to, you know, get the whole house going. And then they're at the bottom of the stairs yelling at everybody to come on, let's go. We're going to be late. And that's a perfect opportunity for them to stop and use a grounding technique and give everybody a moment and, and find ourselves here. And now, instead of thinking about what's going to happen when we get to school if we're late. Another one I think too is I know we talk a lot with parents about when our, their kids are having tantrums and how to kind of disengage in a lot of ways or how to walk away for a couple minutes when you know while giving a warning and being able to go and fold a quick load of laundry or empty the dishwasher or do something that helps to kind of ground them. But I also think they can use the five senses grounding technique, you know, and that is a good amount of time to walk through if you do it slowly and effectively to give your child a chance to kind of calm down and for you to disengage in a way that's really helpful. And then you're also modeling for them, you know, what they can do when they're feeling upset. And so the modified version is if five, four, three, two, one is hard to remember. I have kids take a picture or a screenshot. There are lots of memes out there, lots of I should say just graphics to to take a screenshot of and keep it on their phone. But an easy one to remember is three senses. And you can pick any three senses and then find three things that those three senses can attend to. So we kind of just gave those examples. But if we were to say like three things you can see, three things you can hear, three things you can touch and just walk through those slowly, it might be a little bit faster. And so some kids might need the five, four, three, two, one, but either one are great to try would be great to try and see what works for you or your kids. Well, there's a family that I work with where they have kind of like a quiet down spot and it's in the corner of this like dining room that they don't really use much. And there's like, I don't know if they have a a big like pillow there, maybe it's like a bean bag, but it's kind of like where you go when you need to calm your body down. And they have a little spot on the wall that that coaches them and they can have a couple options to do the grounding. And in this one particular family, they do the five, four, three, two, one, but they have the prompts on the wall that the kid can see. So they're not spending a lot of effort. Like I can't remember what's the five and what's the three. And it's just there. And then when they come out of the calm down area, they are supposed to kind of convey what it was that they, you know, thought about and, and during their time there. And so of course the goal is to kind of think of something different each time. So you don't just go into this like rote description. And they also The same family also does an activity, and I'm interested in what you think about, like just using imagery generally to kind Mm -hmm. of pull yourself out of the, you know, the the escalation your body might feel and to really, you know, instead of just thinking like, oh, I'm on the beach, but like, what does, what does that mean? Are you sitting in a chair? Your toes in the sand? Is the, is the heat on your face? Are you, are you tasting the salt in the air? Are you hearing the waves? Is your books, the pages of your book blowing? Do you have a Coke in your hand that you're drinking from? Like, what is it? And like, really be able to, you know, paint that picture for me of what you're seeing, because your beach could look different than my beach. I use that all the time with kids. I call it a mental vacation for kiddos. For the older kids, we call it visual imagery, right? But I, same exact thing, Tara. And a lot of times it'll be the beach that kids will pick. I always ask them like, what's your happy place? Like, where do you feel most at peace? Or what brings you the most joy? And some kids will say, in my bed. 
at home. And so we'll really describe what does that feel like then and smell like, and what are you doing? Are you under the covers? Are you on top of the covers? Are you squeezing a lovey or a stuffed animal? Yeah, and like you said about the beach, I'll say, can you smell the suntan lotion? Do you hear the seagulls? And it's still engaging your five senses, even though it's not in the current room, but yeah, it's using that, those senses to, to ground you again through your visual imagery. Yeah. And if they can know what was happening in their body prior to it and what is after like like for me as a just for myself as a you know and during the times when i get anxious i get more likely to be sweaty and i have like that feeling of my heart beating faster and so when you do you know for me when i feel that sweaty feeling and the heart beating faster that cues me of like oh my body's kind of too anxious right now you know, I'm not being chased by a bear, so I don't really need to be in this state. So what can I do? And that's when I'm more likely to use a good grounding strategy. And then I can kind of reflect when it's done, like, how is my sweatiness? How is my heart beating? And if it's like, seems like I've gone back to normal or close to normal, then I can be like, all right, we're good. And if I'm not, if I still feel like my heart is beating fast, it might be, okay, what's either need to do it again, a little bit different, you know, drag it out a little bit more, or maybe use a different strategy, or if there's an opportunity for me to problem solve, like, well, let me check in and see, you know, if my kid got to where she said she was going to go or something. For me, so much of managing anxiety is feeling a sense of control. Like I can do something. I don't just have to sit in the space and like magically hope it passes. Yes. And I think that's a lot of the, you know, root of anxiety is feeling like we're out of control and then our bodies become out of control and that feels even worse. And so I will teach kids to be a detective and I'll say, be a detective and really pay attention to what your body is telling you, what sensations you're having. Because sometimes at first it's hard for kids to recognize the effectiveness of the, you know, a lot of times you're not just going to have that magic wand moment where they're like, oh, that was great. I'm going to use it every time. Sometimes it takes practice and it takes that data collection, right? that scientist to kind of look closely or that investigator to say, okay, my body is calmer now. The butterflies have calmed down. My shoulders are not in my ears anymore. They are much closer to where they usually hang out when I'm calm. And so helping them walk through that is so helpful. And I think too, having parents who can teach us, teach them, right? Or therapists, of course, in the moment when they're calm and then model them for the kids and also then walk through it with them. We talk a lot about co-regulating, holding their hands, walking them through it, right? And really, we call it a gradual release in education, but really helping them know what to do before they need to go and do that independently. And so sometimes it's really tempting just to remind our kiddos, you know, go use that grounding technique, go use it. But a lot of kids really need that one-on-one coaching or their parents to really hold on to their hands or show them how to walk through those steps for the first handful of times until they really get the hang of it. I say even another simple one for, for some kids is, you know, just going to squeeze a favorite stuffed animal or lovey and really tuning into their senses. What does it smell like? You know, when you touch it, does it feel soft? Is it coarse? Is it squishy? Is it plush? And being able to really describe the sensations they feel when they hang on to their lovey, because that's one that can be really, I mean, their lovey is usually somewhere in the house that they can run and grab. And so some of these techniques, we just think about what environments. And so that's the other thing I'll do with kids is talk about which one would be helpful in different situations. If you have a trigger at school, you might not be able to have that rock or your lovey, but can you use your senses? Can you do the alphabet backwards in your head? That takes a lot of thought and it really helps you to stay in the present moment because you're really trying to remember what's the alphabet? 
when we do it the right way, let alone backwards. And so really trying different things that work in different environments. Some of our little kids, you know, I've even had parents do things like run hands underwater, or splash cold water in the face or hold a piece of ice. Um, I love kind of the piece of ice one. That yes. is middle school boys. And they get that panicky feeling and we talk about, you know, you're at home or, or wherever, you know, in, you get an ice cube and you just gently toss it from one hand to the other. It's not about making your, you know, your hand, you're not, you're not like in a challenge of how long you can hold it. It's just about causing your, you know, your body sensation to just be highly focused. It's great for nausea. You know, I have a a middle schooler I work with and he's just, I just tell him like, you're just kind of a barfer when you get anxious, like your stomach gets upset, you know, and he gets that feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up. And so he uses the ice cream or ice cube strategy at home. But then when he's on the bus, which is actually an area of stress in his lunchbox, he has one of those little ice pack things. And so he reaches into his lunchbox and he, you know, puts his hand on it and then he scoots his hand under it and puts it on the top and it just kind of goes back and forth and that nauseous feeling or, you know, passes and then he gets to school and he's fine. But we really had to think about like what would be meaningful and how we discovered that was so helpful. And he was coming to my office for the first time and he was nervous. Like he had never been to see a therapist. He didn't know what to expect. And dad comes in and he's like, oh, you just barfed in your bushes. And I was like, okay. So I got him a nice some ice cubes. I put them in a little cup and went out there and I kind of coached him through it. And he's like, okay, that really helped my stomach, you know, turning past. And so that was like such a tangible, you know, moment for him to see like how helpful that was. And then we were able to take that. And he really wanted me to just magically have him not be a kid whose stress response was an upset stomach. And I was like, you know what? Like, it could be something you sort of grow out of. I was like, but for now, we know this is what your body wants to do. Your body, that's the cue that you're 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 too anxious. And let's use the strategy that we know pulls your brain's attention away from your your turning stomach. And you know, maybe you'll you'll move past it, but you might always be a person who feels like, you know, your anxiety is shows up in that way. But what are we mm-hmm. going to do about it? We don't want you thrown up in an airport or on a first date. <laughs> right. And here's a lifelong strategy you can use and adapt as you move through different parts of life and different environments, for sure. It's mm-hmm. funny because I think sometimes, you know, we we focus on what we want to change about ourselves or, you know, I just want to get rid of this anxiety so then I don't feel anxious anymore. And I'm not sure we ever really get rid of anxiety because we all experience it. And so just knowing how to manage it or what works for you in the moment can be so helpful. And so I know some people will just really take a cold drink of water and really focus on what that feels like. And that's really helpful for some people, right? And then other people, we have to figure out what is your strategy and what is it that helps you and when do you need to use it? So I think this is hopefully helpful for a lot of families. I think so. I think our audience, you know, it's probably gotten a a few takeaways that they can use for themselves. They can use for their kids. They can, they can use them as strategies, like you said, to co-regulate any final thoughts that we want to, we want to make sure to mention about this, the strategies we've talked about today. I think it's important just to make sure, you know, we, we talk about them. I think we've already kind of said this, talk about them when we're calm, figure out what's going to work for us. If parents are wondering where to get more information, there's a lot of, you know, a lot out there on the internet that you can find. And and one of my favorite books I read with kids is called Find Your Calm. 
by Gabby Garcia. And it actually goes through grounding techniques in the back in a really kid friendly way. And so I use that a lot with my younger elementary kiddos. Gabby Garcia is a great author with a lot of great books just to help teach kids in a really friendly, fun way. In another book called Listening to My Body, she'll have kids do horse lips or like horse breathing with horse lips. And then they feel the sensations in their mouth and how silly or tingly it feels on their mouth. And so those are really great ways to introduce things in a kid-friendly way. And then of course, you know, there's other resources like Therapist Aid and healthline.com and and a bunch of other places that really have some free great ideas for different strategies that you might explore with your kids or for yourself when needed. Yeah. It doesn't need to be complicated. It just needs to be something that speaks to you and your kid and is accessible for you to do. A lot of times kids just feel so connected and supported by their parent when they help them with these strategies. So that alone can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. So, well... I'm so glad you came on today. I'm so glad we got to talk about this because I know we talk about it quite a bit at the office, but to be able to turn it into a podcast and have it be accessible for everyone. And I know I will give this link to clients as we go through and, and they can listen to it later. If you have a friend or a, a loved one who would benefit from learning more about grounding strategies, shoot this link over to them. It might be something that really speaks to them as a helpful tool or cause them to go down the rabbit hole of looking into more strategies on the internet. But yeah, thank you so much for being here, Lacey. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, everyone. We are finishing up season six soon. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and then we're going to be rolling into season seven. If you ever have any ideas about a topic that you'd like us to discuss or you want to learn more about, please visit the website at www.egancounseling.com. Shoot us a message, and we're happy to help. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm.